Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to leave with you tonight the last verse. The verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The prominent and the towering thing in this verse is the throne of grace. I will make that our title tonight for the sermon, The Throne of Grace. And this, of course, is God's throne. He loves it. He loves to sit on it. He loves to bestow mercy and grace from it. It's his mercy throne. We could even call it his mercy seat. Now where is this throne of grace? And the answer of course it is where God reigns and rules. It is in heaven. It is not here on the earth. Though the effects of its presence are very much felt on the earth. The throne itself is not where we are presently, but it is where Jesus is, because he has gone into the heavens and has sat down on the throne of God. And we're not there. We're not in the heavens yet. We're on earth. However, the text says, We can come onto the throne of grace. We can come by faith to the throne of grace. We read there in the book of Job where he said, and remember, he had not the same light as we had. He was not in the day of gospel liberty such as we are. In fact, it is even believed that Job knew nothing of the tabernacle or of the temple. And Job said, Oh, that I knew where I might Find him that I might come to his seat. He didn't seem to have the same liberty and understanding that we have in New Testament times. We don't have to speak like that. We know where we can find him. We know that we can come onto his seat. And so this is a call to faith to come onto the throne of grace. It's a call to believers to trust in Christ and through Christ make approach unto a gracious God. Remember how Paul said to the Ephesians, through him, that is through Christ, this great high priest, through him we have access by one's birth unto the Father. So we can come while not in heaven, while very much on earth, we can have access. Because there's a portal to God. There is a way to God. And that portal is Jesus Christ. He has gone through the veil, he's opened the way, he's made the portal to the throne of grace. And in our union to Jesus Christ, while we are on earth, we have access 
very much access to the throne of grace through our great high priest. Seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, passed through the heavens to the very throne, let us come boldly onto that throne of grace. Now that's the teaching in this text. Now there are four things in the verse that I want to leave with you to reflect upon. And the first thing is where we are presently. Where we are now. You'll notice here that we draw near by faith and the throne is not where we are because the throne, as I said, is in heavens and we're here on earth. But what does Paul call the now? What does Paul call the present? He calls it the time of need. The season of need. That's where we are now. We are in a place and in a season and in a time where we need help. And why do we need help? Because we're in this life, this lifetime. We're here in a difficult world. So whenever the apostle says this, a time of need, he's not saying, you know, once or twice in our life we might have to use the throne of grace, a time of need. You know, there's some people ask what the throne of grace is to them whenever they have a, you know, an acute need. And then they'll make a visit to the throne of grace. But Paul doesn't mean that. It's not, you know, maybe you get cancer and you go to the throne of grace or maybe you lose a loved one and you have a time of need and you can go to the throne of grace. That's true, we can go to the throne of grace in all those very, very, very difficult times. But Paul is not talking about such times only. The throne of grace is not for occasional visits in certain situations. The throne of grace is for us all the time, minute by minute, day by day. Because the people of God now are in the time of need. Just being in the body is a time of need. Just being in the world is a time of need. Every day we live on the earth is a difficult time for us. Now, I will grant that sometimes there are more needy times than other times, but we have to think about our whole Christian journey here below as a time of need. I think that's the way we should look at it. So there is never a time when we do not need the help of God. Every minute we need God. And that is why the Bible says men ought always to pray. Not just in the acute, very traumatic times, but all time. Because all time is a time of need. And the key to the Christian life is dependence upon the Lord and this throne of grace daily. Minute by minute throughout our pilgrimage. The secret of the Christian life is to constantly feel your poverty. 
to constantly feel your need, to constantly feel your danger. It is to such an extent that you become like Martin Luther, who looked upon himself as a beggar, always having to come to God hour by hour, day by day, because he felt such need. He felt so weak. He felt so frail. He felt surrounded by so many and so great enemies that there was never a minute but that he felt he needed the Lord. So Paul is not saying here if you're a poor Christian and if you have a very sore need, come, or maybe a crisis or two in your life, come. No, he's saying every day is a needy day and we're all needy and we all have this season of need for as long as we live on the earth. You see, the Laodicean believer lives in what we could call cuckoo land. He says, as the Laodicean church says, being deluded by the devil, the Laodicean believer says, I am rich, I am increased with goods, I am well off, I have need of nothing. I don't have a time of need. I've got beyond the time of need. I'm in the land where there is myth and mythology and everything's well. Well, the child of God is not in such a place. He's in a very dangerous place. Only a sharp rebuke from Christ can wake such a believer up to make him feel where he really is and what his condition is and what his need is. And the Lord did give that church a sharp rebuke. I know it's not that you're wretched. You don't know that you're miserable. You don't know that you're poor and you're blind and you're naked and you say you've no need. They were the neediest church amongst the whole seven of them. And yet they didn't know it. So let us not be that kind of a, a believer. You, you need this verse every day. You need this verse all the time. Do you not hear the word of Christ, child of God? Do you not know your need? Poor, blind, miserable, wretched, naked, vulnerable, open to the assault of hell? You ought to be poor in spirit. Didn't the Lord say, blessed are the poor in spirit? And who are the poor in spirit? Well, they're the ones who feel needy. They're the ones who feel that they're beggars. We need to feel like the Apostle Paul. How did he feel about himself? He said, oh wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me? He felt needy. And the psalmist, what did the psalmist say? I'm poor and needy, Lord. Make haste to help me. You're my help, you're my deliverer. There's no one else, I need thee. And so this is the way to think and to feel. You are a needy pilgrim. And brethren and sisters, we are in a world of sin. A world of wickedness. And it seems to be getting worse. We make our journey through like a wild, mad jungle. And there are beasts that are wilder than the, the wild beasts of the wild jungle. Because there is nothing more beastly than depraved and reprobate sinners. And we are surrounded by hidden dangers. And the whole journey through this world is like that 
journey through the wild jungle. Pilgrims need the Lord minute by minute and hour by hour. And not just the surrounding wildness of the world, the countryside that we have to travel through spiritually, but even in our own hearts there is the flesh. And our hearts so easily lead us astray. And our hearts so easily deceive us. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we never get beyond the stage where we can trust our hearts. And then we have our falls and our failures. And our unlikeness to Jesus, if we just think about it. For a little while we're so unlike the Lord. And so how needy are we? And then there's Satan, disguised and concealed as he often is, yet furious in his soul against the righteous, hidden from your view, and daily, hourly, laying snares for the people of God. And he goes about to devour you. And this is a dangerous place then because of Satan. And there's not a minute that you can reckon yourself safe really. So never forget, this is you now. Presently, while you draw your breath in this world, time of need. That's where you are now. Whether you feel it or not. That's where you are, a time of need. So the place where we are, but then secondly, where you can go in such a time in which you find yourself, and where you ought to go, the throne of grace. And what is the throne of grace? Well, the throne of grace, it's a wonderful thing. It's a very glorious thing. For poor needy sinners, it's a welcome sight for repentant sinners. And whenever you think of the throne of grace, uh, there are three things that ought to come into your mind about it. And the first is that it is God's place. That's where God is. Bless his name. It is where he wants us to meet him. The throne of grace And the only place where we dare meet him. This place where God is. And so we are to draw near. When it says we are to draw near to the throne of grace. It means we are to draw near to God. Where God is. We are not drawing near to the angels. Because they are not on the throne of grace. We are not drawing near to Mary. Because Mary is not on the throne of grace. It is God's place. God and God alone. And so, brethren and sisters, I think it is wrong to come to the saints in heaven and to pray to them and to look to them for grace. No, we come to God's seat to look to him for grace. God alone. So that's very important. That we understand that. And I would that all true Christians understood that. That they cannot and ought not to pray to other saints who are in glory. 
I grant that there are saints in glory. I grant that they are seated on thrones and rule and reign with the Lord in heaven. There are many such saints in glory. But this place is alone God's seat. And to him we go. So it's God's throne and it's God's grace. And that's the only throne that we go to. A sovereign throne, the almighty throne. And God has many thrones, of course. The great white throne. But in meeting us in Jesus Christ, this is the throne where we do so. The throne of grace. So it's God's place. And prayer is to God alone on the throne of grace. The throne of grace, the throne of God and of the Lamb. And that's very important. And then the second thing is that we must not forget the majesty and the glory of that place. And that's contained in the word throne. We're coming to a throne. We're coming to a place where the king reigns. We're coming to a seat fitting for the Almighty. It's a glorious high throne. It's a place of sovereignty. It's a place of majesty. Now we rightly emphasize the word grace. And I'm going to emphasize the word grace. But I first want to emphasize the word throne. And I do think it comes first in the text in the original. It's the throne of grace. So we must never forget that we're coming to a king. The king who is God. King of kings and lord of lords. And that means reverence. It means carefulness. It means fear of God. It means hallowed ground. And take the shoes from off your feet. And go in very reverently and very carefully. Even when it is to obtain grace. There is reverence. Because it is a throne. You see congregation. It's not a shop merely. To get things. It's not that. It's not a hospital. Merely to go to to get fixed up. It's not that. It's not a pharmacy. And a doctor's there. And you just, you know, shove your script in. And you get it. The medicine. It's not that. It's nothing like that. The throne of grace is not a dispensary merely. And God just merely the dispenser. No. You're not coming to Santa Claus on his den. You're coming to the holy God. The sovereign God. Who is to be feared. And you're to come in reverently. It's a holy place. It's the most holy place. And therefore respect and care. And you don't pray to God like you talk to your common man. That's the thing. And that means that you don't dictate. You don't command. You don't order. You supplicate. And you humbly implore and beg and what is important at this throne of grace is submission submission and there is a word that you never forget here 
Even at the throne of grace, there is a word that you never forget here. Thy will be done. If it's your will, Lord. As a saviour even himself. Not what I will, but what thou wilt. And that's a very important spirit. At a throne. Because it is a sovereign. And you don't know very much, and I don't know very much, and we're very ignorant, and our motives very often are wrong, and we're very selfish, and we just sometimes don't ask for the right things. And we have to always remember it's the throne of one who is mighty and knows. And we always have to either prefix or affix or appendix or whatever. Thy, nevertheless, thy will, thy will be done. But of course there is this word grace. It is, bless the Lord, a throne of grace. High and lofty and majestic as it is, it's a place for sinners. A place where they are welcome. A place where they can be reconciled to God, where they can be forgiven if they come with repentance and with true faith in the high priest. You see, the, the glory about this throne in particular is it is the glory of grace. It's sovereign grace, of course. We must never forget that. Now, the Lord has mercy on whom he has mercy. And to whom he shows grace, he shows grace. It's his will. His sovereign will. And it's sovereign grace. And it's not always universal grace, but sovereignly dispensed. And grace is enthroned here. Having faith in Christ, uh, he is the one enthroned here. And because he is enthroned here and is sitting on this seat, our gracious Lord Jesus Christ, it is a throne of grace. It's full of grace. And it dispenses grace. And Jesus Christ is the grace of God. And there are the unsearchable riches of grace. And the depths of grace. All in Christ. And that's what poor sinners need. Grace. All of grace. You see this high priest has gone into the heavens. He is the one who reconciles sinners to God. By his blood and by his sacrifice. He's the one who purifies sinners and makes them to be acceptable to God. And all this is at the throne of grace. Which is a throne of holiness and a throne of justice. But because Jesus our Saviour in his humanity is there seated. It is a throne of grace for sinners. And it's the only place we can go. It's the only place we dare go. It's the only place where God will meet with us. Without being devoured by his very wrath. And of course that place is pictured in the holy place, isn't it? In the most holy place, there was a very strange looking ark. Very strange looking chest. And it had this strange lid on it. And it was a flat lid. And you could actually sit on it. But no man dare sit on it. Not even the high priest. And even whenever he went in one, once a year, he couldn't dare rest on it. Because it is the seat of God. It's the throne of grace. And the only one who has ever sat down on it is the Lord Jesus Christ when he finished the work. He sat down on the only seat that there is in the holy place. And because he is seated on it between the cherubim and surrounded by all the glory of heaven, there he's seated 
our Redeemer, our Saviour, who bought us with his blood and who loved us, he's there. And it's a throne of grace. Where he is now after the finished work. So where we are, where we can go, how we can go is the third thing. What does Paul say here? Boldly. Let us go boldly, he says, unto the throne of grace. Now what does he mean by that? Well, of course, you see, we have to remember that we are sinners. And we are ones who have the memory of sin. And we have the guilt of sin upon our conscience. And we feel unworthy. And we feel like running the other direction sometimes because of the unworthiness of sin. And we feel that God is holy. Uh, and we feel that we could easily uh, be afraid and dread and run away. We could be like Adam and go the opposite direction to God. But we don't have to feel like that now. We can go boldly because Jesus Christ has gone into the heavens and has sat down at the seat of God and we can go with confidence. And so this is what Paul means here. It means to go freely, to go without a slavish fear and without dread and being terrified, to go cheerfully, to go courageously, to go with assurance and confidence. Well, that's what he means. He doesn't mean to go in arrogantly. He doesn't mean to go in, as it were, with pride. But he means to go in with the confidence in Christ. And with confidence in his grace. And with the assurance of the acceptance that we will be given there if we go in faith. Now this word, boldness, is not the first time that Paul has used it. We saw that he used it in chapter 3 verse 6. When he says, hold fast the confidence, the boldness, the, the assurance of this grace unto the end. That's not the last time he'll use it either because he'll say in chapter 10, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, your boldness. And how can we have this boldness? Well, it's verse 14. Let us hold fast our profession. It's by holding fast Christ that we have the boldness. It's by holding fast the confidence that we have in the gospel. It's holding fast the confidence that he died for sinners. It's holding fast the confidence that his promises of salvation and grace are true. It's holding fast the truth of his sacrifice as a sacrifice for the sins of people. And so we believe in Christ and we hold fast to Christ. And because we hold fast to Christ, we can, we can go in courageously and confidently, though reverently and humbly, to supplicate and implore. So it's, it's not with haughtiness. It's nothing to do with that. And it's not with, oh, I demand my rights. I have my rights, you know. I'm this and I'm that. And you should this, that, or the other, Lord God. No, it's nothing like that. It's always humility and submission and reverence, but childlike confidence. And so it means to go in without reservation, without terror. It means to go in constantly and continually and persistently. And it, it means you don't have to go in to impress. 
You, know, you don't have to make an impression. You don't have to be eloquent with all your words. You, you don't have to do anything like that to the Lord. You just go in in quiet confidence in Christ and just, just tell the Lord and the freedom of words without, without eloquence. You don't have to impress God. Nor should we want to impress our fellow men when we pray publicly. We should pray humbly and sincerely. So where we are, where we can go, the way that we can go there with this bonus, the last thing is why, why we go. Well, the text says that we may obtain and find. We're going to receive, we're going to obtain, we're going to find mercy and grace because unworthy sinners, this is what they need. They need most of all. I draw your attention, first of all, to the two verbs, to receive, to obtain, and to get something, and also to find, to seek and find something, and search for something, so as to get possession of it and own it. And those are very important verbs. Paul is using them in the sense that you won't be disappointed. You go there, you receive it. You go there and you find it and you'll not be one bit disappointed. You'll not go away empty. You'll not go away without receiving it. You'll not go away without finding it. You'll surely get it. You'll surely obtain it. You'll not go away empty-handed. At least if you seek it in the right way and at the right place. At the throne of grace. So ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened unto you. And what is it that we are to receive and find? Now Paul could have wrote so many things. And in this day of social gospel. I'm sure there are social gospel preachers. Who could put a whole list of things in there. That would fill the churches up. That would transform <laughs> the minds of people with all kinds of falsehood. You're not promised all the riches of the world. You're not promised all the material prosperity that God could ever give a man. No, these are spiritual things. Mercy and grace. That's what the gospel promises. Doesn't promise riches and material blessing and prosperity in this world. That's a lie. A lie from hell, too. It promises mercy and grace and in the world to come, glory. Glory. An exceeding weight of glory, but not in this world. Now, it is mercy that we need and grace. Now, grace is what one would expect from a throne of grace. It's the same word, you see. Grace for our journey. Grace in this time of need. Grace that carries us through. Grace that helps us and upholds us and sustains us so that we continue in our faith on to the end. Grace so the devil doesn't defeat us and sin doesn't conquer us and that we have the Spirit's assistance to the end. And as our day is, so are our strength in this grace that is obtained here. So it's grace to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
But you will observe, while it is a throne of grace, and certainly we obtain grace, sir, you will observe that Paul doesn't just only say grace, nor is it the first word. He says mercy. And that's the first word, that we may obtain mercy and grace. And you'll see an interesting combination here. The word grace occurs twice at either end, but in the middle is the word mercy. And mercy is first, because we are such sinners. And mercy comes to the fore, and when we go to this throne of God, we have to remember God's order. Our sins have to be dealt with first. And we need God's mercy. And we need to say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And we could never hope to obtain the help and the grace daily throughout life unless we had received the forgiveness of sins. And so mercy is first. No grace to help until mercy is given to us and we're forgiven. So God is rich in mercy. And he delights in mercy and he delights to show it and he delights to give it and if you obtain mercy you will have no problem finding grace to help in time of need and that grace to help will flow out of the mercy of God that you have received so yes congregation the throne of grace here it towers high in our text even as it towers high over all but it is approachable. And as the, the apostle says, you can come to it. And you must do so. And you must go there daily, child of God. And you must do this often, what Paul is saying. Come boldly onto the throne of grace. And sinner, you must come there now. The saints they continue the Christian life in this way in coming to the throne of grace boldly. And that's where you must begin it, sinner. That's how you begin the Christian life, by making the first approach and coming to God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. So this is a wonderful verse and it's so encouraging for us. Uh, and never let the devil say, oh, you, you're not welcome there, and you can't go there, and you've done this and that and the other, and it's all shut up to you, and you're shut out. That's the devil's lie. Take hold of Jesus, and he will receive you graciously. And never fear and tremble. However great a sinner you feel yourself to be, even you can believe and come boldly to the throne of grace. Come and welcome too to Jesus Christ.